Hey, welcome to night school, I believe number 89. And uh, just a reminder, you know, there was a new Every Night's a School Night that went up yesterday. And and just as a reminder, I want to say you can listen to this show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, in addition to SoundCloud. And this show's always been hosted by SoundCloud, which I have mixed feelings on. I feel like I just haven't wanted to make the effort of moving everything over somewhere else. And now that SoundCloud does allow uh, their stuff to appear in podcast feeds it just it works it works uh, but yeah you just you have options is my point pursue those options I was thinking because it's football season now about the New England Patriots and how I rooted for them last Super Bowl which I never thought I would do and granted they were playing you know one of my favorite team's rivals who also didn't deserve to be there you know and I don't need to explain why if you watched the NFC conference game uh, so I had multiple reasons to choose the Patriots last year but I actually I've learned to really appreciate excellence and for years there was you know there was this mixed you know oh uh the Patriots are cheaters the cheaters they do this and and they've proven that doesn't matter First of all, like other teams, as they said in their defense, have done similar underhanded moves and haven't had the same success they've had. I mean, naturally, in a sport like the NFL, teams are going to take any advantage they can. Here I am, a Patriots apologist. Not just an apologist, but I genuinely appreciate seeing them do what they do. Because I think at this point, I just, I really appreciate seeing excellence. And it's funny to me how people had no problem accepting teams like the Chicago Bulls or the Edmonton Oilers when they were dominant. Uh, but, <coughs> first, <coughs> that's what happens when you talk about the Patriots. When you praise the Patriots, you get a cough. Uh, but, uh, yeah, people had no problem supporting those teams, as far as I know. I mean, I was a kid, and it was just Michael Jordan mania, so maybe there was some bitter undercurrent that was, like, hating the Chicago Bulls for being as dominant as they were. But I think it's just an example of, uh, you know, people will resent excellence, and they will try to find excuses for why teams and people, for that matter, you know, achieve excellence. And you see a lot of that bitterness around and uh, the Patriots receive a lot of it. And it's become politicized, too. You know, it's not just because they are called the Patriots, but Tom Brady's friends with the current president. Bill Belichick is not a very nice guy. He doesn't smile. I don't like him because he doesn't smile. It's like the people, used car salesmen fucking smile, you know? Politicians who are flying to the pedophile island, they smile. You know what I mean? Like, these people, just because someone smiles doesn't mean they're not, you know, chances are they're manipulating you somehow if they're just smiling. Bill Belichick doesn't need to smile. His work is evident on the field, and that's what I mean. His work is evident, and that's why I can appreciate the Patriots. And sure, they're not going to ever be my favorite team. And the idea of having a favorite team, you know, I think that's important. You know, I think it's important to have a team, you know, and my throat's just killing me. I think the universe doesn't want me to talk about this. <coughs> you know, something's caught in my throat. Um, but yeah, when you see somebody who's just really good at what they do, uh, there's always an undercurrent of bitterness. 
And you see that with celebrities and singers and everything. And, you know, someone might not be my favorite singer, but I can see when they, I can hear when they have a good voice. I can see when someone's good at what they do. And in that way, I don't resent the fact that those people win awards. Those people get platinum records. You know, I don't, I don't resent that. And in the same way that I don't resent a team who wins the Super Bowl year in and year out and at least gets there. I mean, a team who just dominates. I mean, that's impressive to me. Uh, and yeah, it's weird, too, because it has become politicized. If you remember the, the Patriots and Panthers Super Bowl a few years back, there were a bunch of people I know who don't really give a fuck about football. And this was an actual thing. This was like a trendy manner of thinking. There were, there were people who actually framed that game as black people versus white people. Even though the Patriots have tons of black guys on the team, mostly black guys, uh, the fact that Tom Brady's white and they have a, some white wide receivers, they're like the only team that consistently year in and year out has you know a, a white wide receiver. Uh, and... Uh, it's, and people just decided that it was a, a black people versus white people thing. And somehow Cam Newton was you know, representative of that side. And Tom Brady's representative of this side. And, you know, it, it's just it, people have done that about everything now. And no wonder people are so sick. No wonder people have just this white knuckle anger about everything, whether they're driving or whether they're pounding on the keyboard. Their knuckles are just white with anger and frustration and seeing everything through this bizarre lens. Uh, and, uh, you know, that Super Bowl, uh, I actually, I rooted for the Patriots back then, too, because uh, I really don't like uh, Cam Newton at all. You know, I find him obnoxious, just, you know, and it's funny because criticism of Cam Newton gets politicized, too. People were like, oh, if you don't like Cam Newton, you're racist. If you don't like Cam Newton, you're racist. You know, and it's like, what about all the black players I like? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's, you know, it's just funny how that happens. Um, and it, it's happening all the time and I'll actually let that go now. Cause I don't, I don't think I need to color this topic with that and that, uh, and, but yes, you know, I'm just, it, and it's weird to feel that way. Cause there's a part of me that feels guilty. Like I'm not supposed to like the Patriots. I still like, you know, the Cowboys, Seahawks, you know, it, it's going to reach a point where I like every single team. There's going to be a podcast probably like less than a year from now where I'm just like, every team's my favorite team. It's not just the excellence. It's also, uh, I like the teams that suck because, you know, they're all, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's like the yin yang, you know, you got the, the up and the down, you have to appreciate it all. You know, it's it, eventually I'm just going to be there. Every team. I'm going to be like everybody from the 90s who's like in a mix and match. Like everyone's like a flower. Everyone in the 90s was like a flower where you like you could just wear any team's merch that you wanted. Uh, you could wear any merch. You could wear like a Charlotte Hornets hat with like a Lakers jersey and gym shorts, uh, you know, of the Buffalo Bills because we liked all those colors. We liked just all that gear. And it was called gear, too. Uh, it wasn't sports merchandise. It was gear. Uh, even though it wasn't actual sports gear, we like to call it gear. And it is gear. <laughs> um, but people were like that, and people had favorite teams. And I, I think that that really says a lot about how things have changed since the 90s, where people were wearing this like mix and match of teams. And they might have had a favorite team. Most people did. But people appreciated excellence, too. The Cowboys got a lot of fans when they won three Super Bowls in four years. 
the Bills got a lot, or the Bills, the Bills lost a lot of Super Bowls. Um, the uh, the Bulls, not the Bills, the Bulls. Um, they, uh, I don't know, I don't even know how many championships they won, but it's like everybody was in a Michael Jordan jersey. Uh, everybody was. I didn't have one, but I had a poster of Michael Jordan. I had that Wings poster actually. I had it up on this. Uh, I had this kind of like slanted part, like between the wall and my ceiling in my childhood bedroom, and it like perfectly fit the Wings poster, which is like one of the most horizontally long, horizontally wide posters ever. I imagine it's just Michael Jordan, like life size, stretching his arms out weird poster to have. I remember one of my childhood friends making fun of me for having it. Uh, like, do you just look into his eyes? <laughs> but even I had a Michael Jordan poster and didn't think anything of it because it's just, he's really fucking good and that's impressive. It's like having a Luke Skywalker poster. I mean, Luke Skywalker wasn't even as good as Michael Jordan. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was a different time, and nobody really batted an eye about wearing mix and match sports merch, or or liking the really good teams. I don't remember anybody really talking about it. I'm sure there were some more seasoned football fans who were like, "Well, you gotta like stick by your hometown team, and the ups and the downs, and you don't just hop on whatever the latest uh, uh, trendy good team is," you know. And there's a lot of value to that, and that's normally how I think. You know, it's it's been how I think. Uh, but, you know, that kind of loyalty and, and not just going for the cheap high, the cheap high of the good team, because that's what people are after. I mean, we want to it's it's painful to root for a team. It's painful to be a Browns fan. And that's why Browns fans, they've almost fallen so deep into the bottom of the abyss that they've come out through the sky and they're just into it. They're almost into the fact that their team sucks. And that's, you know, if that's not a spiritual process, I don't know what is. And all of this is. I think for me, football is very spiritual. And uh, the New England Patriots are just the latest. The New England Patriots are just the latest manifestation of football's spiritual role in my life. Because I've had to accept this team that I hated and wanted to hate. Because that was such a big part of it. I want to hate them. Uh, is a team that I actually now am like, you know what? You know, I don't. Yeah, they filmed the sidelines and deflated a football or something, but they've won so many damn championships, and there's no lying on that field. When you watch a team like that just surgically cut down the field, Brady with his little check down passes, whatever it is he does, those little passes that just kill every team, uh, you know, you can't help but. You know, it's it's not as exciting, you know, because you kind of know what's going to happen. But at the same time, it's like it's impressive just to watch someone do that. And I hope that people can appreciate watching that while Brady's still around. You know, I know he's going to be around for the next uh, 20 years, uh, but still, I hope people can appreciate it in the meantime. Uh, but yeah, no, learning to just appreciate a team like the Patriots and what they do has been a surprise for me. But it's also, uh, you know, I think it's just it's it's something that's happened. And, uh, you know, watching football, too, it's like we're in this age now where, you know, seatbelt laws are, you know, at first it was seatbelt laws, you know, then it was uh, the, the smoking ban. Uh, next thing you know, it's going to be they're going to get rid of football. Uh, you know, there's already, you know, an agenda to, to promote soccer. <laughs> That's my conspiracy theory is the soccer agenda. Uh, but uh, they already started with us kids where they, you know, they, in my, at least in the town I grew up in, uh, we were encouraged to play soccer way more than football. Uh, 
Um, but uh, the soccer agenda, the war on Christmas. No, but really, it's like, you know, football has fallen out of favor. But to me, it's just like all those things, like the smoking ban, the seatbelt law. I'm in support of the cell phone driving ban because that affects other people. But it's weird how we install these laws that are based on your own protection, that you're not capable of thinking for yourself. And there's this idea out there, too, with ideas, like the kind of people who want to censor ideas and censor free speech. That attitude comes from a place that fundamentally believes people are dumb. And they might as well be one of those eighth grade hot topic kids from the year 2000 wearing a black shirt with white writing that says, I see dumb people. I see dumb people. You know, you might as well be wearing that shirt if you're promoting things like censorship and free speech and censoring free speech because uh, those ideas, the idea of censorship and calling people dangerous just for having discussions, reasonable discussions. Uh, that all comes from a place that fundamentally believes people are so dumb they'll just be brainwashed by anything. And maybe they will. But who are you to decide what they should or shouldn't be brainwashed by? And it comes from a place that sees human human beings as a very low form of... of uh, it just... They, those, that attitude, it, it just, it's a very low form of... Uh, it's it's some form of misanthropy, really. I would I would call that actually. Nobody calls it that, but that's what it is. It comes from a place of misanthropy that people for expressing ideas are fundamentally dangerous, and the fact that people might listen to them and agree makes them so dumb that we just have to ban everything, and you know, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, uh, patriots, right? Uh, <laughs> I see dumb people. Uh, in, I want to get a shirt that's in New England Patriots colors, and it says, I see dumb people. That's going to be my shirt. I'm going to go up to that person and be like, that's the dumbest shirt I've ever seen. I see dumb people. Uh, you know, that idea of just like, uh, humans are stupid. You know, Because my opinion is, yeah, there's a lot of dumb people, and people are dumb in ways that we don't even realize or we don't recognize, but they're also really smart in ways we don't recognize. They're a lot sharper than they let on. People omit a lot. For every loudmouth who just like says everything they think, there are so many people who think in much more complex and advanced ways than they even realize, and they either don't say it because they figure, what's the point? What's the point in being vocal about what I'm thinking? Or they're afraid to. Many times they are afraid to. It's what I've talked about before where it blew my mind. Like in high school, everyone pretended that they didn't know each other. People who were in different cliques. Like unless somebody had a reason to interact, everybody pretended they didn't know each other's names and that everybody was too cool for everyone else. And then after high school, you find out that everybody knew everybody's first and last name. You go to school with these people, you see them, you have a fucking yearbook, which is just a, a paper database with everybody's name, and you look through it, and it's like if you didn't know their name just from being in the hallways with them all the time and knowing everybody, you know, you're going to figure it out from the yearbook or something else. So it kind of blew my mind, but there's a weird like survival aspect where it's like if you admit that you know who somebody is in a high school environment, and they pretend not to know who you are, it's like crushing. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm less than. I'm lower. So everybody just pretends they don't know who somebody is. It's like kids pretending they don't know the answer in class, even though they do, because they're afraid of what their peers will think, because their peers will either think that they are um, Tom Brady. No, they'll, they'll think that they are... 
uh, either like a teacher's pet, a know-it-all, or they are, I don't know, they'll just think like they're a snitch. It's almost a snitch move to raise your hand in class and answer a question. Yeah, kids almost treat it like a form of snitching, and it kind of does feel like snitching, because you know the teacher's going to give you the answer anyway, so why, why pipe in except for ego? It's not like, you, it's not like oh, a uh, teacher asked a question. The teacher asked a question that they obviously know the answer to. If you don't raise your hand and answer, we'll never know. We're, we're never going to know. The teacher's never going to tell us because the teacher doesn't know. Because teachers just stand up there and ask questions they don't know the answer to. Maybe you're like crackpot, you know, chemistry teacher, but because uh, we had one of those. Uh, but, uh, you know, other than that, it's like you're going to get the answer. So in that way, it's like I, I totally get why kids don't raise their hand. I totally get why, why people pretend not to know each other because it makes us feel oddly vulnerable. Like if we admit to knowing something or knowing who someone is and they, they don't know us, it's like we're, uh, we're puny. I'm just puny. Nobody knows my name. So I do that when I meet people like for, you know, granted like when you drink, if you're a drinker, you meet a lot of people, you meet a lot of friends of friends, acquaintances, and you very well might not remember talking to them. It's just a, a hazy dream memory at best sometimes. And so that totally makes sense if you meet people in that circumstance. But there are sometimes where I've met somebody before and we've like spoken and they're a, they're a friend of a friend and they, they say they don't remember me and maybe they don't, but I make it a point to say, oh, we've met before. Because I ain't got nothing to lose in that situation. Uh, and I feel like a lot of people are afraid to admit things. It's like when you see somebody that you've met once out in public and you pretend not to know each other. I usually don't say anything just because it's kind of like, unless there's a reason for us to talk, you know, whatever. But it is funny how we are afraid. We, we fear. We fear uh, acknowledging that we know more. And in that way, I think that people are much more aware than we give them credit for. And if they're much more aware than we give them credit for, that means they're smarter. Because to me, awareness is the true intelligence. I value awareness more than almost anything. Uh, and to me, a dumb person is someone who doesn't understand when someone is joking. Uh, it's when someone doesn't understand, you know, facetious humor. And I understand, like, if something's not funny. I don't expect somebody to laugh at a joke. I don't expect any of that. Uh, especially if it's annoying or just inappropriate, whatever. But I, there's a phenomenon out there where there's so many people who don't even realize when someone is joking. They just it doesn't even cross their mind that it could be a joke, and and they will respond in kind with some sort of serious response. And it's just like, man, do you, do you? I understand we all have different senses of humor. You know, I understand we all. You know, not everybody thinks everything is funny, but it's. It's weird to me when just someone just simply does not understand, and then that and that that to me is a form of awareness and intelligence, because you know I don't really like stand up comedy that much, uh, but when I watch it, I can appreciate it. I know that they're joking. I mean, and part of that's because you know it's in the genre of comedy, but it's like I also I understand like where their brain is going with a joke, and I can appreciate the wit and what went into that. Uh, but at the same time, I might not laugh. I can appreciate it. It's it, we just here we go full circle back to the New England Patriots, comedy patriots, comedy patriots. Um, in the same way that I can appreciate the New England Patriots' excellence, they are an excellent team. Nobody, maybe the best of all time. When you look at the last twenty years of victory, you know one of the best teams of all time for sure. 
uh, just on a on paper at least uh, on the in the paper database at least. Um, but it's the same thing with comedy. Like I can recognize when somebody is good at what they do. When a comedian, for example, is excellent at what they do, and it's it's yeah, it's the same thing for sports. It's the same thing for all of that, and uh, it, it's it goes to the arts as well. It, it's just everything. I mean, I, I think we should acknowledge excellence. And when you get into the arts, it's a little bit different, though, because everything is so subjective and things resonate with us so differently, uh, or we want to believe that. Uh, whatever subculture we're trying to belong to, <laughs> whatever identity we're trying to adopt, uh, you know, we want to believe that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. That wasn't very excellent of me. That was an example of uh, not a very excellent line of thinking, not a good strategy of thought. But it has been, I don't know, it's, it's been interesting going into this season, going into this current football season. Another thing that's happening is people, are, they, they will mock you for being a sports fan. And I think I've talked about that before, like these people who use words like sports ball because uh, they're nerds or whatever and or they're like artsy and like people who are you know t- nerds or artsy both of which I feel like describe me you know honestly uh, so it's not like I'm trashing people who, who are like that but it's like uh, you know people who adopt those identities where they're like I'm a nerd and I like nerd culture I want le- I want a life-size Legend of Zelda Link body pillow, you know, those kind of people, they will, they will turn around and be like, well, I, I guess I can't like football anymore because, uh, you know, I'm sitting at the nerd table, not the jock table. That sort of mindset pollutes people well into adulthood, especially my generation who never grew up, um, myself included. Uh, and, and, you know, I, you know, the other episode I was like talking about, you know, Netflix bodies and millennials and all that. And I acknowledge that I, I guess I'm technically a millennial. I've been told that before and I didn't try to argue. Uh, but I would say I, I never will say we about, you know, being a millennial. Like I'm someone who like, I try to strip myself of any identity as much as I can. And there's some that you just can't shake. There are some things that are just you and they're in you or like society, you know, it's just you're never going to sh- completely shake it. Uh, but I, I try not to like I don't try to grab hold of new identities. So it's like when I found out I was a millennial, I'm not going to become I'm not going to let myself mentally become part of that. I'm not going to talk about millennials as we we do this. So I have to be detached from that. But I do recognize that I am technically a millennial. That's the name of my autobiography. Technically a millennial. Uh, technical millennial. <laughs> Sounds good. I think that's the name of a Star Wars, Star, Star Wars book. <laughs> Star Wars. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, whatever. yeah, but, uh, yeah, the idea of you know, like dismissing football because it's like people just hitting each other and this. And one thing I want to say about football that I love is you have guys who are like six foot six, 350 pounds playing the same sport as guys who are like five foot eight, you know, 200. 
And that's just because they put on a ton of muscles. You know, you have these tiny little running backs, guys who are like 5'8". If you remember like Maurice Jones-Drew from some years back, I want to say he was like 5'6". I might be confusing him with somebody else, but I believe he was like 5'6", and he was an excellent running back. And here he is on the same team as guys who are like 6'8", close to 400 pounds. And this is the same sport, and they're all considered elite athletes. That's the kind of diversity I want to see, you know. It's like uh, everybody's elite. You know, nobody got handed anything to get there. Everybody has worked incredibly hard. Everybody is an elite athlete in a different way. Everybody has different skills, and everybody has a different role. And that's what's so fascinating to me about football is that you do have those sorts of variations. And it's interesting to see, too, you know, to go into the race thing, uh, you know, why certain positions are largely made up of certain races. You know, that's fascinating. And I don't think we should read too far into it, but I, it's something to think about. Uh, it's sociologically interesting. It's uh, biologically interesting. Uh, <laughs> how's that for pretentious? You know, football, it's just sociology and biology. Um, and, and I already said it was spiritual. I already said it was spiritual for me, and it is. It is spiritual. It is church. It's on Sunday. Uh, but you do it, and it's, you know, I don't really get into other sports. I like hockey, I like baseball, I get bored by them uh, short ways into watching them. And how come you don't see, like, huge, tall baseball players? I'd love to know what the uh, disadvantage of being an incredibly tall baseball player is. I guess it would be easy to strike them out, because uh, uh, they're going to be swinging the bat so high every time, you just throw it low. Oh, that's why, so I just answered it. Um Biology. I told you biology was a part of all of this. How could it not be? <laughs> That's what I love about sports, too. It's, it's like one of the most explicit examples of human biology and, you know, bodies. And uh, I feel like I'm about to go into Doug Stanhope's, uh, <laughs> the, his, that beer hall special that he did some years back where he gets into this weird, like, I recommend, I re highly recommend it. It, it. It's a very good perspective on football talking about bodies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just fascinating on that level. There's so much going on. There's so much strategy. Uh, there's so much to think about, and that's why I love it. And uh, the Seahawks are still my favorite team. Don't worry. I know you're worried about my sports preferences. I mean, uh, even when every team's my favorite team in a year, less than a year, uh, the Seahawks will still be just like maybe like a millimeter above the rest. And, you know, the whole Patriots thing, too, about them getting blamed, like they were cheaters. They slightly delayed a, delayed a, delayed a football, deflated a football uh, and like film the other team's hand signals like in two, you know. Uh, it's, you know, people want to get on them and call them cheaters, but it's like looking at my favorite team. One thing I had to put up with was when Pete Carroll, St. Pete, St. Pete Carroll, when he took over as the Seahawks coach, uh, everyone was like, well, he's a cheetah because he, because when he was at USC and won all those championships, they were undefeated, win forever, as his book is called. Um, uh, you know, he was accused of illegal recruiting practices. I believe he recruited Reggie Bush. They gave him a car or something. I think the movie Blue Chips covers that, if you've ever seen that, uh, with Nick Nolte. I think that's about, you know, illegally recruiting players to make a really good college team. And that makes total sense. I mean, that's fucked up to do if it's true. Even if Pete himself didn't do it, I completely understand why that's illegal. You know, the NFL is pretty fair in terms of how players are recruited. It's very fair, in my opinion. 
uh, not not to get into the whole salary cap thing, but at least every team is pretty much subjected to the same process. But in college, you know, uh, illegal recruiting practices, I completely understand why those are forbidden. And my favorite coach, you know, I don't give a fuck about college, but because he's the Seahawks coach and he won us a Super Bowl, he's my favorite coach. And I just love the guy. And I know I, I did an episode where I talked all about that a long time ago. Uh, but uh, I love Pete Carroll, but I also recognize that he may have done some underhanded things to recruit star players when he was a successful college coach. So I understand what it's like when someone accuses, you know, my team of, you know, somebody doing something underhanded. Not that that's happened while the Seahawks have been uh, successful the last number of years, but just, you know, I recognize that, you know, that guy who I really value and think is a great coach has been accused of being a cheater because people love to say that. Insecure, bitter people love to call people cheaters. And sometimes it's, you know, fair. Sometimes it is uh, an appropriate uh, term. I don't know, uh, but an appropriate sociological category, the cheaters. It's a table in high school. That's it. Uh, there's the nerd table, there's the jock table, and there's the cheaters. Uh, and, uh, you know... <laughs> and uh, you better not sit there. You better not, you better not even look at the cheater table. You better not make eye contact with anybody who's at the cheater table. Why do they even have a table? They, they let the air out of uh, footballs. Uh, and that's a controversy, but no, there's, there is a, a movement because of like head injuries and all of that. The idea that like, I don't know, to me, that's a trade-off. Like with the amount of money people make in the NFL, I think we should do everything we can to minimize head injuries. But I also think this whole like movement to discourage football and all of that, you know, it's the price of admission. You want to be one of you want to be a world-class athlete who makes millions of dollars, and I think they should be paid even more. I'm not one of these people who thinks athletes are overpaid at all. I don't believe that at all. I think that football players should actually make more, especially when you look at baseball and basketball and how much those players make. I absolutely believe football players should make more for what they do to their bodies. But I also understand that it's a trade-off where uh, to get that sort of recognition and display your elite skills, part of the trade-off is you could fuck yourself up forever. And I, I I mean, hearing that Junior Seau, like, killed himself, I mean, that was insane. You know, uh, Robin Williams, whatever, you know, like, uh, rest in peace. But it's like, that didn't really phase me. But Junior Seau was somebody as a kid. I was like, that guy is the linebacker. That guy is the linebacker. And, you know, for him to just shoot himself in the head, I was just like, this is fucked. But at the same time, there's also, it, it's the price of admission for being in that game. And the reason why people are drawn to that game is because it is brutal. And it does satisfy some primitive urge, some primitive need. You know, we've replaced the Coliseum with the football field in certain ways. Uh, but it's all much more voluntary. You know, we're not throwing people to the lions. We're, uh, you know, these guys are, are growing up and they're becoming elite athletes. And they want to show it. They want to prove it. They, it's their identity, and that's a good, powerful identity because being excellent is a great identity to have, and that's why I can appreciate Tom Brady. That's why I can appreciate the New England Patriots. And one last thought while I'm still remembering. 
you know, I, I mentioned how in the 90s it was much more acceptable to mix and match your sports gear, wear whatever you want, whatever clashing colors, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, that was much more acceptable, and it was also more acceptable just, just appreciate, just to appreciate really good teams. And I've noticed that as politics have become even more dogmatic and divided, uh, our attitudes towards sports are the same. I don't remember nearly this many people. Like, if I go onto, like, sports message boards, anything online, people really get on each other's cases for not just staying 100% loyal to their own team and you got to hate the Patriots, you got to hate this team, you got to hate them. And God forbid you wear sports merchandise by multiple things. So it's interesting as our political attitudes have become even more rigid and divided, the same sort of attitudes play out in sports. You know, as the saying goes, as above, so below. We see a lot of the same patterns play out. You know, the zeitgeist is often represented in multiple ways. Uh, and that includes sports, that includes politics, that includes our, our social attitudes. And as I mentioned earlier, it's not a, a surprise that even just a, a Super Bowl can be politicized as black people versus white people, which if you actually pay attention to football and look at the makeup of teams is so absurd, but people will do it. They will do it. We live in a time where that is what people are doing, and it's something we have to deal with. But I think excellence is something that we can all get behind. Not that we all need to strive for excellence, not that we should somehow sacrifice everything else. I'm not suggesting some sort of might-is-right attitude. Uh, but I think being able to appreciate excellence actually brings us together much more. I think a lot of people came together to appreciate Michael Jordan in the 90s. A lot of people came together to enjoy a movie like Titanic. <laughs> uh, and I think today, if more people came together and just appreciated seeing an ongoing legacy play out, a team that has the skill, the strategy, and the ability to create a legacy and to see it continue and to be able to look at it as it is still going, it may be in its tail years, you know, I know uh, there's only 20 years left of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's dominance. We still got 20 years to go. It's the tail end. Uh but even then, I, I think that if you can appreciate that, if other people can appreciate that, I think it will actually bring us together a little bit more. And not that I even care about that. You know, I, I don't have an agenda. You know, I want to be left alone. Uh, <laughs> I want my single occupancy restroom uh, and, you know, uh, NFL network in there. Every bathroom's got to have NFL network. I mean, you can change the channel, but uh, NFL network is a must. But no, I, I think that being able to come together and just appreciate when something is really good is unifying, and it should be unifying, in the same way that, you know, when people go to a concert or something, of, and everybody's there appreciating the same band, there is a kinship. You don't have to talk to everybody, but everybody there has an understanding that they are witnessing something, and they have a desire to witness something impressive, and when it is, it really brings them together. In the same way I was talking recently about visiting Mount Rainier, and how I hate being around big groups of tourists. Like, when I go out into nature, my nightmare is to be around a lot of people. But being there at the base of the mountain with all these tourists around was actually kind of nice because everybody was there for the same reason. Everybody was there to see the mountain. When there's a really good sports team, if you can just step back and be like, we are all watching something really fucking excellent. We are all watching something really good. I think it actually has a unifying effect. 
land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children